I know. It's such an honor to be here. I'm not dying again. I'm not sick. This is great. I have to tell you that uh, there's a lot of lessons that I learned in the past couple of weeks since I've seen you both. And I, oddly enough, believe it ties into exactly what we're talking about in Hebrews. I, I know. Isn't that amazing how the Lord works? Because I have to tell you that my faith in our Lord, as well as his church, has grown exponentially. Just being able to watch people, God's people, step up and do things. So you have to understand that for me, as the church planter, it was me. (laughs) And me alone. And me, myself, and I. For many things, in many ways, for many years, for many, many different uh, things going on. And so, to see last week, you know, spur of the moment, Thursday morning, I'm like, so you got a sermon in your back pocket, Ron? Because it turns out I got COVID again. Second time this year. And I have to tell you, too, that whenever I get sick, and even I'll tell you a story later on in the sermon, I find that those moments that I get sick are a be still and know that I'm God type of moments. Psalm 46.10, if you want to read it yourself. But in those moments, and especially what's interesting to me is as I was prepping and getting things ready as I normally do like every week, I've got my schedule, I've got my Monday deadlines, I've got my Tuesday activities, I got my Wednesday as my kind of day off, I got the Thursday schedule, I got the Friday schedule, I got all these schedules out, I got all these plans, I got deadlines. This is just how it works with deadlines. My heart wasn't in it on Monday when I finished the notes for this sermon this week. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And uh, you know, I didn't understand it, I didn't, I didn't see why, but my heart was out of line, if you will, because it became works. It's kind of like that second warning that we talked about, especially when you see people who have grown up in the church and then get into full-time ministry, they burn out. Why? Because it's about ministry, and it became not about Jesus anymore. It became not about serving the living God with my heart, my my mind, my soul, my strength, with everything that I am. And then it became about performance. And so there's a mighty lesson in that because God doesn't need me. (laughs) I don't know if you know that or not, but God doesn't need you. But you know what? He loves you and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of his family and his church. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing in the community of Genoa. And that's why we're here. And so my faith in the Lord has grown because despite of how many people show up on a Sunday, there are tangible, measurable things out there that church planters look at, in a sense, to see, are we doing well? Are we successful? But as much as we want to talk about earthly success, there are things that God has to do and that I can't do. I can't make people come. I can't make people show up. I can't make people preach. (laughs) I can't make people do it. Well, uh, wow, the the noogie helped. But 
But uh, no, and, and so that is a gifting from God. And to bring those people there and then to watch, you know, Chris and, and John and, of course, uh, Sean and Kim and Ron and Kathy and everyone else that's come and everyone else that's part of it, just to watch that grow. And so the reason I'm telling you all of this is because, man, praise the Lord, first and foremost, in all things and for everything, but also uh, this whole letter that we've been doing about Hebrews is don't lose sight of Jesus. And so in my work and in my performance of preaching and wanting to make sure that I stayed on my schedule and that, you know, this was done on Monday and that's done on Tuesday and this is done on Wednesday and that, and, and that, as it keeps going on, it became less and less about Jesus and became more and more about performance. But he reined me back in and here we are. And so this letter of encouragement is all about making sure it's about the right thing. Not, not the other things that are kind of good or kind of okay or that we enjoy or whatnot because all in all, this is about Jesus. This isn't about all the other things that we may do. Even though mission is great, without Christ, mission is meaningless. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially the ones that we fail to see. And so, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in such a way that we are able to walk with you in this life. So for today and tomorrow and forever, you will be our Lord and that you will be with us. And so, Lord, encourage us as we approach your text. Encourage us that we need endurance. And it's that endurance and it's these events that happen in our lives that continue to shape us and continue to mold us, continue to give us hope, but continue to build our faith in you. And this is not our own doing. It is a gift from you, Lord, and we thank you for that. And so, Lord Jesus, continue to tune our hearts and our minds to your will, and may we glorify your name for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, it's been a couple weeks, but what's interesting is this sermon is a little bit like a recap, in a sense, in the beginning. So, the text today is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 17, and let's just start in reading it. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. It's one of the few times I'm really grateful that uh, there's Kleenex up here. Sorry, excuse me. It was that last song. I was take my life and let it be. I was starting to get into it. The tears were starting to come, and then it just ended. And I was like, oh, wait. Oh, I'm teasing. So, but uh, therefore, this is how this sermon starts. Therefore. And so, you need to know why. That therefore is therefore. What it's there for. Are you there yet? <laughs> okay. All right. It's a wonky Sunday. Come on, relax. It's the middle of July in 2022. We got nothing but time, folks. And it's hot. And it's nice in here. So, so yeah, no, it's not. It's actually really nice. But so, therefore, therefore, because of faith. Now let's go back to chapter 10. Go back to chapter 10 and see verse uh, 32. And we're going to start right there for a brief minute. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is the verse, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then... Understand, we'll, we'll just skip a couple of verses. The very last one, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is where this all started. Then we have all of chapter 11 that goes into faith and faith in Christ, faith in God in himself. We have 
you, and you see, especially for the Hebrews and especially for us, this is a challenge that we all have and that we all face and that we all have to deal with. That verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So that therefore is there because this is a necessary encouragement for the Hebrews to remember in all aspects, and especially in our lives and our walks, what to do and how to deal with it. Because we don't know much about the Hebrews. This wasn't a high welcome letter. This, in fact, mostly seems like a sermon that he just started with and continues to go into. But there are some notes in here, some application, if you will. And so that's where we're at in this chapter is, in essence, application. What does it look like to walk in Christ? And especially, what does it look like to build endurance? Because this endurance that we talk about, and especially the faith that we talk about, a lot of people think it's on them. But this is all gifts from God. It's all remembering who the Lord is and what he's done. So in chapter 11, we see that all of us have a call to a faithfully endure. And it goes in verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By what? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. So we needed to understand that God has and will always work based on faith. It's always been a relationship built on trust. And for those that don't trust the Lord and those that don't want a relationship with him, Good news, they don't have to have a relationship with him. Bad news, this is it then. You get to deal with sin the rest of your life until you're finally gone. And then you'll have an eternal separation from God, which is exactly what you wanted in this life. And so it's it's not any different. But God has always operated by that faith. And if you look at uh, verse 6 of chapter 11, it is impossible to please him. Without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, that's our Lord. That's something we need to remember. We're all called to faithful endurance. Our God has always operated by faith. And especially as he's going through this, he talks about Abraham. And many of us know Abraham as the forefather of faith. And so this whole concept of it being your salvation merited by works of the law, you must understand that the law that God gave to Moses was 430 years after Abraham, who was the forefather of faith. So how on earth does the law grant us salvation when it's always been on faith? And even then, you can go before and see Enoch. You can read about Abel. You can read about Noah. All of them, by faith, trust in the Lord, accomplished many different things because of the Lord and his warnings. And so faith is trusting in God and his promises. And so Jesus is real. Jesus, he exists. The promises that God has given us exist now as well as the future tense. 
we are always dealing in the already and the not yet. Because I am saved, but I am not sinless. So while I am saved, I'm not fully saved. I'm not with Christ in heaven. And so his promises exist for us now during our journey here on earth and at the end result in a better country living with him. And for all eternity. So enjoy the ride now to the best of our abilities, knowing in full confidence that the Lord Jesus and his promises are trustworthy. So we saw all of that in in chapter 11. And faith is also action taken in response to God and his promises. If you go down a little bit more in chapter 11, you see verse um, 26. He, meaning Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And so this greater wealth, and also talking about reproach of Christ, it's not Jesus' reproach. Jesus was not well-liked. It's amazing to think about, but it makes a lot of sense. Because if Jesus isn't well-liked, why would his people be well-liked? Why would any of this ultimately change us for the better, if you will, but Remember that Moses was looking forward to the reward and that it's not about these present things. And so even in Moses' case, much like our case, we are not Moses, but we also can be looking forward to the reward. And that even if there is some verbal or perhaps physical abuse that we may take for the name of Jesus, that it would be worth it because the reward of Christ himself, let alone being with him for all eternity in heaven, is far superior than that new car or that perfect job or that better relationship or that temporary power trip that we might be on or whatever whatever floats our boat, if you will, whatever our idols are in this life, the things that we chase and the things that we're after. So, This is the reward of being with God for all eternity. And when you look at chapter 12, verse 2, it highlights the exact same thing I was just telling you about Moses, except for it's what Jesus did. In that verse 2, we look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter or completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, abhorred the shame, but that joy that was set before him is finished in that last part of verse 2, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's that joy that he's looking forward to. There is joy in salvation, certainly joy for a people. God is creating a people for his own possession. It has always been that way. Why does God choose people? Why did God choose you? No other reason other than his love. It's not something you did. It's not something you earned. It's not that you were born more specialer than the other. It's not that you're the 
prettiest little snowflake I've ever seen. Nothing to do with that. Read Deuteronomy chapter 7, and you'll find out exactly why. Read Ezekiel chapter 36, and you'll find out exactly why. Because it's not about us and our glory and our honor or our righteousness that has earned anything. It is because of God's love. It is because of God's unmerited favor, his grace. And it's because of God's mercy on a sinner, not giving us the punishment we so rightly deserve. It is entirely because of him. <coughs> so, continuing in that first part, in always looking to and remembering Jesus' examples, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, very simply, the cloud meaning many, the witnesses meaning those from the Old Testament who have a testimony from God, and we don't have to stop there. We can continue to see the testimonies of the people. In fact, I've got a recorded testimony of how Jesus worked in my life in this, what I would call a three-month tunnel, if you will, and how that ultimately brought me to my knees to realize that, that Jesus is real and that he is ultimately good. And that regardless of what I thought or regardless of what I wanted, that wow, I've been really wrong my entire life. And that's okay. <laughs> and for God to reveal himself in such a mighty way, that's great. That's okay. We all have those testimonies. Always be prepared to share your testimony about why you have faith in Christ. Why, why are you doing the things that you're doing? There needs to be a reason why. Otherwise, it's like, well, so-and-so came and I thought it was cool because I kind of liked so-and-so and it was just something that we you know, got into at this one time, but I didn't really care. Like, Obviously, that's the wrong reasons. So we see this multitude of testimonies of living life with God by faith. Because it's not like we're holding hands every day, but we can theoretically hold hands every day in that sense, because we are in that covenant relationship. And while I cannot physically touch and hold my Lord's hand, spiritually, I know he's there. I know he's always there. I know that this is his world. I know that he has a plan. I know that he loves me. And I know that whatever happens in this life, I'm still going to be his. There's nothing that can shake me or break me from the knowledge of the truth that Jesus is Lord and that he is the Savior of mankind, and that there is no other way to the Father except through him. There's nothing that can change that. And the reason I know that there's nothing that can change that is because of the suffering that has produced endurance in my life. The things that should have taken me away to make me hate the attempts of the devil, the trials and the tribulations that we all face. And in those trials and tribulations, they do make you distrust at times. That's the devil's ploy. You know, here's the thing for all of us. For those that aren't in Christ, the devil's never going to bother them. For those who are in Christ, he's going to annoy the living bejeebers out of you. <laughs> and, and he's going to do it because he wants to ruin that relationship. He wants to ruin what God has started. But I am sure that he who began a good work in you 
will see to completion at the day of Christ. And that's the sanctification by the Spirit that we all deal with. So, therefore, because it's by faith, because God is who He says He is, because we trust in God and His promises, and there is a great cloud of witnesses and testimony out there to the grace and the truth that is the Lord Jesus, then let's lay aside those weights. Let's not look to these things that cause us sin and that cling so close to us. And let us run with endurance the life that has been set before us, regardless of the peaks and the valleys that we may experience and endure knowing full well that these peaks and these valleys and these experiences that we endure are for our good. They change us. They sanctify us. So, in the course of your life, this whole first point, always look to and remember that Jesus is that example for us. You're not Jesus, and that's totally fine. God does not expect you to be the Son. But God will see you as the Son because of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done to justify us, to declare us righteous. So, <clears throat> we run the race, which is a metaphor for life, because it has a beginning and it has an end. Now, what happens during that race? Lots of things can possibly happen. You could trip you could fall, you could stumble, you could hurt your knee. People can push you out of the way. They can bump you around. You can break something and not be able to walk. Maybe you're going to need to be carried at some point in time by other people in this race. But understand that Jesus is the founder and the completer of the race. So this race that is your life is already complete. It's already been found because the Lord has found you and then he's completed it because your salvation is complete. It is not about your works, what you've done, what you continue to do, but you will have a heart motive change that you will want to do these things because they are right according to God or they are righteous according to the Lord, which means that it is the good thing to do. So, we look, we see everything and in everything because he founded and completed salvation through faith that we may live by faith. And again, the joy before him, the joy set before him, which while we talk about this in Christianity as the, the by and by, the not yet, if you will, the being with God in heaven, but that is the reality of what we are to look forward to. Because if we're looking forward to the things that are here, we constantly get disappointed. And so the joy before him being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he endured the cross and he despised the shame. And so there's a lot obviously, that goes into enduring the cross and despising the shame, and especially when you consider that God's own people killed him. It's hard to believe, but it's the truth. So, if we are to walk in Christ with endurance, 
then we must always look to and remember the founder and perfecter, the founder and completer of faith in itself or salvation, who is Jesus. Now, Jesus being center point, Jesus being head of the church, that's great, that's awesome. But when bad things happen, why does it feel like Jesus isn't there sometimes? Well, we try to remember the second point. Remember that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That is a very encouraging statement, but most people might not realize that that is as encouraging as it is. Because in this, Jesus took that punishment you so rightly deserve. And that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why? Because you're not working religion. The gospel says done. Religion says do. Everything apart from true biblical Christianity is religion. It is a works-based system that you earn your own merit and your own favor from God on. Even though that's not the God of the Bible, people still somehow think of that. Much like how Moses and the law that came 430 years after Abraham means that adherence to the law means salvation. It's not, and it's never been that way. And knowing the scriptures, I don't see how people who have read the scriptures can know that. So it leads me to think that the author's warning in Hebrews about spiritual immaturity is a valid concern for today's society, much like it was back in the day, because there is a lot of spiritual immaturity. How can you say you know the Lord, but you don't know the Lord? It's a problem. It's a hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in man, never. But it still happens. So Christ did what you could not do, so there is no need to grow weary from works for salvation. That's the whole point of verse 3 right there. Then, verse 4, just the same. I I feel like this is a punch in the gut, verse 4, because (coughs) especially for, for them, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus went and endured the cross and endured hostility. He bled out. He was poked in the side with a spear and water came out. He was flogged. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. And you're worried about what so-and-so thinks about you. (laughs) It's pathetic. And it's hard to deal with and to grasp because we are such cowards in comparison to what has transpired. And especially when you think about the apostles and what they went through and how Peter was, was, was hung upside down, how Paul was killed, how Thomas was slain in India, how all of them died for the cause. And yet, as many Christians, you know, today we, we're, we're so worried about what other people think that we don't even care what our Lord thinks about us. And so it's hard, and it's not something I want to dwell on, but it's something that we have to deal with, and especially something to think about, because certainly, like, if we are to glorify God and enjoy Him, if we are to have a relationship with Him, 
I would assume that you would talk about him. I would assume that you would share moments with him. I would assume that you would share the joy that you've experienced by the Lord with others. Maybe assuming's a bad thing. Because <laughs> I've heard that before. Makes a blank out of you and me. So, maybe I shouldn't assume anything. And that's my own fault. But that's the reality. And we haven't had it that bad. None of us have had it that bad. I remember when the pandemic started and it wasn't wise for us to meet together because of COVID. I remember people who don't normally come to service very often throw up their arms and be like, we're so oppressed, we can't come to service, we can't, you know, enjoy the Lord. And I'm like, well, where have you been for the last three months? Like, now that you can't do it, you really want to do it. And I'm like, man, the human nature of hypocrisy is just killer. And we haven't had it that bad. And we are not oppressed in this country. I can still talk about Jesus. I can still pray. I can still give away Bibles to Park District students. I can still do all the things. Like, if I was to be in trouble for saying the name of Jesus, then we would have problems. Then, then there would be issues. But the problem is, is that I don't know if it's just America or if it's the 20th century, but my goodness, are we soft when it comes to these types of matters. Like, A, we don't talk about Jesus. B, we're scared to talk about Jesus. C, like, we, again, care more about what other people think than what our Lord thinks. Like, this is the reality of life and everything that's around us. And we have not had it that bad. And I hope none of us here say, oh, we're so oppressed, we can't, blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, first century Rome? Like, do you want to talk about that? You want to talk about how Nero literally, you know, hung people in the streets because they said the name of Jesus or they talked about or they met or they actually showed kindness to another human being? Like, man, it's so easy here. But continuing on in this, because it's, again, the, the main point in the heart is adoption into God's family. Verse 5 through 8 here. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So, adoption into God's family, first and foremost. Sons and daughters. That is huge. That is one of the many amazing facets of the gospel, is the word adoption. So, much like adoption in human nature where a couple will go and pick a child. That's exactly what God has done with the people that are here on earth. He's revealed himself to some, but not to others. But at the same time, I know that what is known about God is plain to see in the things that have been made. And those who call on the name 
Lord, and those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in the heart that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. I know my Lord is not a monster. I know my Lord is holy. You know what I'm not? Holy. (laughs) That's a problem. If I'm to be part of a holy and set-apart family, if I'm to be righteous as God is righteous, well, how do I go about doing that? Is it by works of the law? Can I do that? Can I just do some works and then like make myself holy? No, that's not how that works either. Again, God is in control of all these things. So God is holy. How do you become holy? What even is holy? What is set apart? Let's say I want to grow in humility. Let's say I want to grow in mercy. Let's say I want to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do I pick up a book and do I read? How do I grow in these things? Well, the reality is it comes through experience. It comes through knowledge of the truth in God's Word, and it comes through experience. Again, as they say, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that has been poured into us. And so your life and the life you lead and the examples and the choices that you have on a daily basis help to shape you and to form you. Another example biblically, especially in talking about the discipline of the Lord in a sense, is the Gospel of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. God the Father is the vine dresser. So if any of you are horticulturists and understand plants, you understand that at times for plants, you have to cut stems off, you have to cut leaves off, you might have to cut a branch off, And while certainly it may hurt in that moment to have those leaves, those branches, those stems cut off, what grows back in its place is even more beautiful. And that's the reality of the human nature and the human condition. God, I had idols in my life. We all have idols. These are the things that we worship. Every human being on this planet was created for worship. And every human being on this planet worships. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise, because they do. They worship money and power and wealth, and the list goes on and on and on. Material possessions, we all worship things. We all worship things. So, I was a sales rep for many years. I worshipped money. My value as a human being was intrinsically tied to how much money I brought home. I was successful or a failure based on money. Not about my wife, not about my family, not about other things, which, again, could be another idol of mine. My children's performance could be an idol of mine. And then, of course, I can be grossly disappointed in my children's performance and that I put my trust and faith and hope in the wrong things in life. And absolutely, I have done that. 
But how has God broken me from my idolatry of money? How has God broken me from the idolatry of success? How has God broken me? And all of these are stories that I can very freely and willingly tell you. And in fact, I'll tell you the one about how God broke me on money was by making me see how absolutely futile and worthless it was. Now, for a sales rep to say that, that's, that's huge. But to have to go through that experience of complete and abject failure, I lost $5,000 deals by less than $50. I lost $50,000 deals by less than $500. $100,000 deals that we had already won, were poised to win, had the carpet pulled out from underneath them. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. I have spent so much time with this person. I have built value. I have built trust. And in the end, it was $49.20 that cost me this deal. Money is ridiculous in the grand scheme of things. And so as the Lord was continuing to show me this futility, he began to continue to show me what was important in people and how people matter way more than money. Can't buy me love. Did you ever see that 80s movie with, with Patrick Dempsey? Yeah, right? right. And of course, the Beatles song, Can't Buy Me Love. And, and it's the absolute truth. Like the value of a human being, the value of a friend, like money can't buy these things. But these were things that certainly had to be broken within me. Now, I want to tell you too in this verse 9 through 11, as, as we continue on, that besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Still, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And in that, in that moment, certainly he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Like, that's the reason why, right there, okay? God, there is no evil within him. There is no shadow of variation due to change within him. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is good. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know that he's good. Now, in this world, there is evil. And God can do things to change situations, or God can abstain from changing situations. Kind of make your bed, you lie in it kind of thing. It's time for you to learn. And so I have to tell you about the most humbling, like my whole journey in church planning has been very humbling. And if Carolyn was here, uh, I would certainly talk much more about ACE because that was a very humbling experience. Because if you know me, you know I am the least handy guy in the planet. And to work at a hardware store where I'm supposed to be the helpful hardware guy, like every day was a humbling experience. Every day was a humbling experience. But 
there's been so many more things within this church planning that's been humbling. But when I first became a Christian, I was one of those born-again, rabid Christians, if you will. I was better than everyone else because God chose me and he didn't choose you. Deal with it. Not my problem. So, unfortunately, I uh, had hurt some people in my reckless abandon and in my youth. And I would say certainly that this was discipline in the Lord because it was a very humbling experience. It was how I almost died and realized I was but a beast of the field, just like everyone else. And that even though God chose me and he you know, loved me and revealed himself to me in such a mighty way that you know, my arrogance and my cockiness was destroying other people. So he had to put me in my place, so to speak. And so I think he did that through diabetes, oddly enough. And even in, in that, that moment, moment of, of diabetes, and of course, course the, the humbling, humbling that goes on with that, that and the horrors of the reality that I'm going to shoot myself with needles four times a day, every day for the rest of my life, and have, have to deal with physical pain, which sometimes leads to emotional pain. But spiritually, hey, I know, I know the Lord. Lord. Like, like, this, this is, is good. good. Physically and emotionally, kind of a wreck. Kind of a wreck. wreck. And even, and even in, in that, that moment, moment and, and being brought low, low I, was I was reading, reading you know, certainly Ecclesiastes at that, that time, which, which also brought me down to be that, that yeah, I'm just, just a beast, beast of the field. field. I'm, I'm going to die too, just, just like, like everyone else. else. I'm really, really not, not that, that special. special. Even, even though I want to be really, really special, I'm really not that special in the grand scheme of And so I also read Paul's famous discourse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that he should take this from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more for my shortcomings, my failures, and my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. And so... He showed, he showed me that. that. Also, that, that very, very night that, that I came home and realized the horrors of my life, I was about to have a, a, a terrible pity party, party for myself. It's you know, no pride. It's all, it's all about, about me. me. Like, like, I can't believe this is happening to me. Why is this happening to me? Why would you let this happen to me? How could this? On the TV came Jennifer Aniston and the St. Jude Children's Hospital. And, and it's, it's just, just like, like wow. wow. Here, Here are these, these children. children. Young. Haven't done, done this to themselves. themselves like, like I felt, felt I did. Because, because of poor eating decisions. Poor lifestyle habits. Things, things of that, that nature. Because, because of all of those. I felt, felt I deserved it. But here were kids. Didn't deserve it. it. That, that were dealing with cancer. cancer. And I, and I was just, just like, whoa. And, and since, since that day, I've, I've never, never had, had that pity party type of feeling about myself. I just, I just deal with it. I just, I just endure. That's all, all I can do. <laughs> I, know I know God's with me. me. Today, 
tomorrow, tomorrow next, next week. week. And, and I, I know, know I'm, I'm going to be, be with, with him forever. Praise, Praise the Lord. Lord. How, How can, can I, I go wrong? And that, that is the beauty of discipline, in a sense. sense. So, so, he disciplines us for our good. good. That we, we may share in his holiness, in being set apart, in, in not being about myself. Now, now the, the fruit of the Spirit, spirit again, again, how do you enjoy growing in love? How do you grow in joy? How do you grow in peace? How do you grow in patience? How do you grow in kindness? All of these things are by experiences and knowledge of the truth in the Lord. And he continues to do that. And verse 12 and 13, Continue to run this race, knowing that all things are working together for you good in Christ. Even though they are suffering, the Hebrews are suffering, I've suffered, you've suffered, we all suffered, every human being on the planet suffers. You want to have a bond with anybody? Let me tell you three things that we're all going to have. We all get sick, we all suffer, and we're all going to die. You, you want, want a bond, bond as a human being? Those, those are the bonds that, that you can't, can't shake. Everyone's, Everyone's got them. Everyone gets sick. Just got, got sick with COVID. Second time this year. Give me a break. It happens. Be still and know that I'm God. You know. Certainly the suffering that happens. Of course, we're all going to die at some point in time. And so the author's like, Look, Look, lift, lift your, your drooping, drooping hands and strengthen those weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. Continue in that path of righteousness that God has laid out for you. Quit going to the left and to the right. Quit thinking it's about something more. Quit worshiping and idolizing these earthly things that I'm that I have created. Worship and idolize me ultimately. And then know. Of course, that throughout all of these things and all of these circumstances, and even though I can tell you a gazillion more stories, I know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. And then, even though many times, in many ways, I want to change the situation, I need God to change me to handle the situation. Not that the situation needs to be changed, but I need to be made holy. And that's, and that's never, never an easy process. Getting pruned is not easy. You know, another way to maybe think about it too is a blacksmith. He knows your, your good parts. He knows all that. But you got some rough edges around you. Those rough edges have to be worked out. And it's not going to be easy or pleasant. But it's going to be worked out. And it's going to be for your good. No matter how hard it may be in that moment. Because, like verse 11, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then lastly, these first two were all about introspection, right? Now, this last one deals with the church. Or you, or you can, can look, look at it as, as the first and the second point, point was all about, about loving the Lord your God. God. And then, then the third, third point is about, about loving your neighbors yourself. And, and so, so as, as much as I said, said we all get sick, we all suffer, and we're all going to die, seek unity as a human being created in the image of God. 
There are a lot of things, and it is statistically impossible to agree with any one person on everything. There are so many different issues out there today, it's impossible. But can you at least be civil? Can we at least be unified in the fact that we're created in the image of God? Can we, as a church, be unified that we are together in Christ? Sure, we, we all come, come from, from different socioeconomic statuses, and our ages are different, our lifestyles are different, but we have the Lord the same. Can we not learn from one another? As, As I went through school at Moody, Proverbs 27:17 was my motto. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. I have a lot to learn from you, just the same as perhaps you have a lot to learn from me. I can, I can help, help you as, as perhaps you can help me. We can, we can scratch each other's backs. Not, not necessarily in a reciprocal type of way as society says, but perhaps in the loving, godly way of sacrifice. The agape, the actionable and sacrificial love that God has for his people. And so strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace. Paul says the exact same thing in Romans chapter 12. In so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. So, in so far as it depends on us, live peaceably. I would think we'd all want to live peaceably. But there's a lot of anger and a lot of Christians that I don't per se understand. Because, because I, I don't, don't know where they're getting this anger from. Because through, through scriptures and, and the knowledge of the Lord, I don't, I don't know why we constantly people and to hate on other people the way that we do. It makes no sense. Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. Jesus said those who live by the sword die by the sword. And that, that's not us. And so... There's, There's a, lot a lot of people, people that have missed it. it. And, and certainly, certainly that was one of the warnings, too, that the author of Hebrews did and pointed out to us, is that, that without Jesus, there's no way to repent. So don't throw away that repentance. And then I think the author of Hebrews brings that up here again in point three, when he talks about Esau. For you know that afterward, when desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There's going to be a day where those people who reject the Lord Jesus today and tomorrow until the day that they physically die, they're going to have that day where they know that Jesus is real. And they're going to be like, oh... And, and then it's, it's going, going to be too late for whatever reason. So we see that. And despite tears, tears, there's no chance to repent apart from being Christ. And so this root of bitterness to avoid that bitterness, I have to tell you that there is a necessity for excommunication within the church. Believe it or not, as young as a church as we are, I've actually had to deal with that. I've actually had to separate my husband and my wife, and I had to tell the husband he could no longer come here and be a part of this. Why? Because it would have divisively separated the church between husband and wife. 
I've, I've also heard, heard of other examples where, uh, oddly enough, the husband and wife get divorced, and, and then they, they both stay in church. The husband decided he was homosexual after 20 years, found a partner, came to that church with his partner, while his wife and his kids sat in another pew. Do you know what happened to that church? Can you imagine what happened to that church? They divided. They divided over these two people and these two families. Oddly enough, that's why there always needs to be addressed. There's always going to be some type of root of bitterness within some people. Now, divorce is just one example. Okay, There are tons of different examples. And we've seen... Um, probably because of the pandemic, you've seen a lot of churches became politically minded. That is exceedingly divisive. This is not about Jesus anymore, because if you know Jesus is Lord, then the Republican-Democratic thing doesn't mean squat. Because Jesus is Lord. <laughs> so, knowing that to be true, but also seeing that those churches became either more, more Republican in the sense of more control and more order, or they, they became more Democrat in the sense of more lawlessness and that, hey, you can do whatever you want. What do you think happened to those churches? Kind of. They're not around anymore. I don't know if they went out like that, but they're not around anymore. And, and, and then that's, that's, that's the harsh reality. reality. It's, it's, it's the faithfulness of the Lord that I think carries us, which, which is why also my faith in the Lord to see his church and see the people that he's brought and to see new life in Christ as we have. These are all things that no matter how hard I try, I could never do. But the Lord can do that. He moves with the spirit of his people and he reveals himself to those that need to be revealed to. And so, so praise, praise the Lord, Lord for all of that. that. But avoiding that bitterness, it's necessary. And, and it's, it's not because I'm a big jerk. It's because it's going to ruin God's people. It's going to be divisive. It's going to tear the church apart. And what we're here to do, much like Ephesians chapter 4, which if, if you've never read it, read chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, that it's the whole mark. It's, it was my whole business plan, if you will, of being the church of the denomination to build one another up in the unity of the faith that is Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we do it, to build one another up. Man, you can go anywhere and get torn down, but how great is it to come to some place and actually be built up? Who knew? That such, such a place, place even exists anymore in today's society. But sadly, depending on what church you go to, it's not necessarily going to look like that. They're not necessarily going to be building each other up. They're going to be going through emotions, empty meanings, empty words, perhaps life. Who knows? I don't know. And it's not my job to judge them. It's my job to love them and to help them through it and to build them up. And I've, I've tried, but, but some people don't take my words as meaningful or take my advice, and that's okay. Because, again, in all of this, and especially walking in Christ with endurance, 
we always need to remember our Lord and his examples and his meaning for good and his meaning for righteousness and his meaning for life in itself. Then, regardless of whether we're at the peak or if we're in the valley, just to know that it's going to be okay and that all things work together for our good in Christ. And then, of course, very simply, just to seek unity, just to be together as human beings, to get along. Oh, so simple, but so complicated, while avoiding the bitterness at the same time and keeping those things abstained. We all have opinions, you know, but there's only one right way, and that's God's way. And, and so, so even that, we can, can muddy sometimes, sometimes but I, I still hope that, that we can find that solid ground that is our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus. And, and so, so we, we walk in Christ with endurance because, because we know our Lord and we know what he had to do to save us. And, and we walk confidently knowing that all things work together for our good. For God is holy and he is making us holy in Christ. And then, and then lastly, we walk together in unity as his church, keeping ourselves unstained from the world of bitterness and then reconciling as we've been given the ministry of reconciliation if we don't seem to get along. And so that all works together for our good, and that is all aspects of walking in Christ with endurance. Amen. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for just revealing yourselves to us so mightily. And thank you uh, for just granting us the Holy Spirit by your blessing to be able to realize that you indeed, Lord, are the way and the truth and the life. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you in this moment. Uh, again, for, for, for everything, just continue to walk with us. Continue to spiritually hold our hands and to hold our hearts and to, to guard our hearts and our minds in you, Lord, that even though we're constantly led astray and that even though we seem to have grandiose and better ideas for life than you do, uh, I know, Lord, that you are good that the things that happen in this life are for our good and ultimately for your glory. And so thank you for working with wretched sinners as we are. And just thank you for the salvation that you brought us and the sanctification that continues to make us holy and in your image. So we love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray today and tomorrow and all the way up until we are with you in heaven. Amen.